in season and out of season. Amen and amen. Yeah, that uh, such a great message and song. And Miss Pat does her voice. It just suits it, doesn't it? So, so overwhelmingly appealing to say, man, they need the Lord. It really is. What a blessing. Uh, the book of Matthew, out of that Matthew chapter number 10, there was so much in Matthew that we didn't get to go over and talk about and cover while we were in it. it this, the, the expanse of the book is so big and so many neat things about the life of Jesus. And can you imagine how the scripture says there was so much that he, that he did that wasn't recorded? Yeah. That if, if it was all recorded, there wouldn't be enough volumes of libraries to hold it all. And which also speaks so much about not only him being a man, but speaks of his role. He's God. And he is that everlasting father, that prince of peace, the wonderful counselor that we serve and look to. But in that passage in Matthew ten twenty five, what we looked at this morning, it's enough for a disciple to be like his teacher, his master, uh, disciples have a common goal and conviction, very similar to how Psalm 119 and verse 74 says that uh, when those that fear you see me, uh, they will be glad. Why? Because we both have hoped in your word, that common conviction of standing upon the revelation of God, which brings a common comfort, a hope, an expectation uh, something that surrounds us and that uh, solidifies and gives us such great surety and peace, that Word of God, and a common cause. Because the Word is not given to us just for no reason. It's always intentional and purposeful with a cause behind it. And the disciples have a common goal and a common conviction through the Lord Jesus Christ. No one has ever said that we need to do everything perfectly. That's not been the thrust. We just want to be like him who is perfect. We also know, the disciple also knows that we believe that he knows exactly what to do with us and with our imperfections and with our life. That's the role of the disciple. He trusts that, that I'm going to give my imperfections to him who knows what to do with it and what to do with my life and what to do with me and where he wants to take me. And that it's not enough for a disciple to do something perfectly. That's not the aim. That's not the aim. The aim is his master. That's the aim of the disciple. Their eye is on their master. The disciple wants to be like him. And that's enough for the disciple. So I have to be looking at my own journey of, of those things in my life, if, if that's not enough for me, I'm acting out a character of a disciple. I'm, I'm starting to act more like an enemy and not a disciple. I'm, I'm starting to act more like Judas and not Jesus. You think about it, there's more Judas in people than they want to admit and, and believe. You know, Judas, I think Judas started out more than likely from his perspective as somebody who saw Jesus as a solution to what he wanted to accomplish for the people or the Jews. That is, he saw Jesus as a conqueror. He saw Jesus as a rebel. 
He saw Jesus as someone who was going to overthrow the oppression of the Roman Empire. And he, from his perspective, Judas, if, if I'm not mistaken, Judas is the only one that was called out of Jerusalem. Everybody else come out of Galilee. Judas come from South Jerusalem, and when you do any kind of history, South Jerusalem is those who come from an affluent society. They were the movers and the shakers, the money makers. They were the decision makers. They the one, the aristocrats who controlled what went on, and their hands were in the pot with the Roman Empire. As long as they kept Rome happy, they would be happy. As long as Rome was happy, they made their wealth. As long as Rome was, was uh, pleased with all them, they could do as they pleased and were able to become wealthy and to have their way. And Judas was raised up in that environment and somewhere along the line, here come this carpenter son who had this charisma about him who made these promises of new things to come, I think Judas really in his spirit, in his mind, because the Bible tells us that Satan didn't enter him until that last supper that night when the scripture says immediately when they dipped their hand in the cup and they all, Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me. And every disciple said, is it me? Yeah. Is, it, is it me? And Jesus said, the one who dips his hand in the cup with me, which was Judas and he told him to go do what he was going to do quickly and Satan entered him and he went out and he betrayed him for the price of a slave. We constantly see Judah, Judas as they got closer to the cross of Calvary and the more distinct Jesus became in his teaching of his purpose in coming, we see Judas slipping and setting himself apart from the rest of the disciples. He's the one who complained. Remember when Mary came in and anointed Jesus' feet with that costly oil? And he looked at her and he began to manipulate those around him and says, wait a minute, the value of that all is worth more than this man that she's anointing here. The value of that all in that alabaster flask was a year's worth of, of money. That was, an, that was an annual salary. That's a lot of money. Yeah. You figured right now in our modern times, you take your year's salary and you put it on Jesus at one time. What a sacrifice. Yeah. He sees it and says, you're crazy. He's not worth that. That could have been used to do something else. Now, he did that. Remember, he, he, he was not a, a dumb fella. He was a, a witty guy. He was a smart guy. He come from, obviously, money in a business background, or they would have never put the money bag in his hand. He controlled the money. And the Scripture says that he was skimming. Why do you think he was skimming? Because as he got closer to the cross, he realized all those hopes he put in this Jesus are not going to come to pass as the way he thought they would. This guy's letting me down. This guy is letting me down. He's, he's, not, he's not what I thought he was. He's not giving me what I thought I was going to get. And therefore, he continued to pull away. And you know, a lot of people are that away. When they pray for healing, they pray for a relationship, they pray for finances, and it don't get answered how they wanted it to be answered, they quickly start selling Jesus out selling him out because this idea for who Jesus was or what they thought he would be for them 
didn't match what he was actually doing in their life. And there's a lot more in Judas than a lot of people want to want to recognize. And that's why it's important for us to surrender and submit over to Jesus and say, God, you can do with me as you see fit. You're the one who's got to set my expectations. You are my master. I'm your disciple. And it's enough of me to be like you, Amen. to be like you. See, the goal of the disciple is not perfection. No disciple you'll find that's wanting to be like Jesus. The goal is not perfection. The goal is not praise. They're not seeking praise. The goal is not power. The goal is not prestige. The goal is not that purchase and power, more wealth, more money. The goal is not peace. The goal is not people. The goal is not problems. Some people are just problematic. They feed off of problems, and that's not the goal of the disciple. The goal of the disciple is not pleasantness. The goal of the disciple is not privacy. The goal of the disciple is not publicity. The goal of the disciple is not practicality. You see, that's what Judas was suggesting. Let's just be really applicable and practical. We could have taken that money, and that money could have been put to a, a quick, good use to feed the poor. We can be practical with this. That's not the goal of, of the disciple. It's not being practical. The goal of the disciple is not more plans. The goal of the disciple is not power. The goal of the disciple is not productivity. The goal of the disciple is a person. It's a person. The goal of the disciple is a person. The goal of the disciple is his maker, his master. And nothing else is enough. They want him. Amen? Amen. So, he already knows. We're not, we already know we're not perfect. Nor do we desire to be. It's enough for us to be like our teacher. And nothing else is enough. So, we know our teacher knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly when we need it. And we want to rely upon him and the, and the, there's some indicators of uh, maturity and immaturity, immaturity as we journey in this walk as a disciple. For an example, immaturity says this, just get me through this. Just get me through this. All I need is enough to pass the test, to be done with it. Learning something is not my priority. I just want to be done with it. That, that, was, that was me, an immature fool in school. I could care less what I learned. Just get me through it. Just get me through the test. If I pass it, I, I, don't, I don't need to know the material. That's immaturity. That's where I was at. And that's where a lot of people live. But that's, that applies also to people in the kingdom in the sense that they, they, they are immature because all they, want to do, all they want to do is get through this next problem. Get through this next test. Just give me a passing grade. I can care less what I got to learn through it. Just get me through it. But you know, life is full of problems. And we're going to go through a bunch of problems in life. We want to be more, more mature in that and growing in like Jesus. See, maturity says, I don't just want to go through it. Grow me. Grow me through it. Test me to see what I know, what I lack and don't know, where I'm strong and where I'm weak that I can glean and grow. I was never a mature student in school. If you didn't test me, I'd have been perfectly fine with it. 
you didn't have to test me to know I was weak. But it didn't matter. I just wanted to get through. There was no maturity in that. But I would watch other people around me who showed some maturity and they wanted to learn. Boy, if they didn't get something right or they missed something, they was back at the teacher saying, man, why, how did I miss this? Please help me with this. I want to learn it and want to grow it. I could care less about learning and growing it. And sometimes people face challenges in our everyday life in the kingdom that way in the sense that, God, I, I don't want to just go through this. I want to grow through this. I want you to test me so that I, I can know what's in me and what you're doing with me and that I want to learn all you have. I want to glean all you have for me. I want to grow in this. I want to be able to do, as you told through James, count it all joy when you enter into various trials and tribulations, knowing that God is at work and he's going to do something in this to make you more like your master. Amen? Amen. That's a sign of maturity. Wisdom says... Grow others with us as we grow through this. Use it all that we can help others coming behind us, encouraging those in front of us. Wisdom in that maturing disciple says, grow me through it, but help me grow other people through it. I want to be a blessing to other people. I want to help point people to you and what, what's happening in our life. Now, unbelief will say, trust me, trust me. Whatever you're going through, we say, trust me, that, that what you're putting in my life won't work. I can't do that. There's got to be something better, a better way to think this through. With what I have and where I am in my life right now, trust me, I cannot handle this. I would do things a lot different. Trust me, if it were totally up to me, I wouldn't be going through this right now. I would have a better solution. See, that's how unbelief talks. That's saying we know a little more, more than... God knows, but, but we don't want to operate in an unbelief, amen? We want to put our trust in the Lord. See, faith says we trust you, and we trust you know us better than anyone, and we trust you know our every need. We also trust you will let us see what you see, that we can honor and glorify you through what you reveal to us. Faith says, I want to see what you see. I want to see it how you see it. And I'm asking you to reveal it to me. And it's not that I have the solution. You are my solution. And I'm going to trust you as I walk through it. But unbelief says, hey, I got a better way to do this. And I don't want to be in that position of unbelief. I don't want to bring my limitations before God, telling him what I can do and can't do. All I want to do is trust him, knowing that, hey, he is more than able to reveal himself to me. He's more than able to reveal his cause to me. He's more able to reveal his guidance to me, just like he did with Noah, just like he's done with all these people through the ages. God comes, reveals. God's grace removes us from things. God's goodness replaces what we need in our life. And then God's guidance renews us day in and day out to walk in what he gives us. And that's where faith comes. Now, ungodliness says, I know what's best. Ungodliness says, I know what's best. I know what's right for me. I'm going to live my life and I'm going to do it my way. I'll find what works best for me. It's always been and always be, will be me first. That's the, that spirit of ungodliness, that I'm going to do it my way. It's, it's a, that picture of pride. Now, the disciple says, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, teach us. Whatever it takes, test us. Whatever it takes, tell us, Lord. Whatever it takes, try us. Whatever it takes, train us.
We have one longing, and that's to be like you. So whatever you think, we trust. Whatever you think we need right now, use it to grow us. You're our teacher, and we're at your mercy. It's enough for us to be like you, and nothing else in this life will ever be enough. I want to be that maturing, faith-filled, growing disciple that takes God at his word and knowing that, hey, he is enough for me, and I want to be like him. Amen? Amen. 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 All right, now we're going to be getting in the book of Isaiah. The big book of Isaiah, starting tomorrow. Tremendous word. Take your time when you go through it. There's going to be some things that may be a challenge on on some understanding of, of what may be happening or what's going to be said. But look, just ask God, your teacher, to, to reveal what you need to see about him because you want to grow close to him and how he views us, how he reveals himself to us, how he views men and what men were doing, how he looks at life and salvation and redemption. And we're going to see that, man, just turn that real quick before we go. Isaiah 46, Isaiah 46, 9. Keep this in mind as you go through. Isaiah 46. Isaiah is a Bible in the Bible. It's 66 books. If you got questions as we're going through it, look, just jot them down somewhere. Let's see, 46. Look in verse number 9. Keep this in mind as we walk through this tremendous word. God says, remember the former things in the sense of there ain't but one creator, there ain't but one God who's created all, all that you see and all that we have. Remember the former things of old who established them as a nation, who called them out, selected them, chose them, marked them for his own. Among the rest of the nations of the world, there was one group of people for whom God chose. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. And all God's people said, Amen. What does God do that nobody else can do? Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Amen. You can rest your life upon that, that God's counsel will stand. Men, the flesh is like the flowers of the field and the grass of the land. They are going to fade. They're going to perish. They're going to die. But the word of the Lord endures for how long? It endures. For, there is no faded glory for the word of God. There is no faded glory for God's grace and truth. Not only what he does for us, but what he does in us. There is no fading glory. 
we in the grace of God are going from glory to glory. What God's done is an everlasting work because it's part of his everlasting redemption. It's part of his everlasting work in his word. And he says, declaring from the end, the beginning, from the ancient times that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and all my will, and I will do all my pleasure. Verse 11, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it and I will also do it. He was going to do something and he was going to use a person that nobody in a million years would ever thought he used. And he called him a bird of prey and that nothing was going to stop it. And God made a prophecy. That's what's baffled men for, for years and years and years some nearly 150 to 200 years before King Cyrus was born, that, that Babylonian Persian king, that, that Mede and Persian reign that overthrew the Babylonian empire, God named him that I was going to raise up a shepherd, I was going to raise up my anointed. He gave him the name Cyrus, and people have been trying to refute that for so many years as if that was written after the fact, that was written later in the time, that was written later. But... God doesn't need that. He, he knows the end from the beginning. He calls it and, and declares it, and he declares it before he does it, so we'll know who's doing it, and we can just rest assured. What you're going to read in the book of Isaiah, a lot of that was fulfilled already. Some of it was, uh, many of it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and Isaiah's going to talk about some things that hadn't even been fulfilled yet. So it's rich. It's so good. I think it's going to be a rich blessing for us. But he's going to pinpoint the hearts of men and where they are in his heart and what he longs to do and how he gets it done and what he'll do with us when we trust him, when we walk with him. It's going to be good. I, I'm looking forward to reading through it and seeing what God has for us. But these are, this is a section of Scripture, a, a verse you want to hide away somewhere and just remember that God says, look, my counsel, it will stand. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord is what stands forever. Man has planned and planned and planned, and those plans have come to nothing. But God's plan, His pleasure, His counsel will come to pass. It will endure. And you can rest, I can, we can rest our entire life upon His spoken word. Amen? Amen. You can rest assured. You can rest assured. Mm, mm, mm. All right. Well, look, y'all have a good night. Love y'all. And we'll close out with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you and bless you and ask you to help us. Thank you for the revelation that you have shown us our need for you. But you've gone beyond that. And in doing something in us, you have shown us that people need the Lord. And that your counsel is going to be fulfilled with us or without us. And we want to be maturing, faith-filled, filled with faith, filled with your word, filled with you. Disciples who want to be like you, who want to know you and to know you more intimately and personally. Who won't settle for anything less than knowing you. And I pray that you use us to go make it known. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Love y'all.